HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. The following message has been brought to you by Fairway Market. What's the buzz about honey? Well, those busy little bees are up to something, and it is delicious. The Fairway label honey is superb. Fairway only hires worker bees that are the best at what they do. This makes for a great-tasting, high-quality honey at an amazing value with the Fairway stamp of approval. And on top of being delicious, honey is a great substitute for other sweeteners and can even benefit your health. This includes better energy, respiratory improvements, and balanced blood sugar levels. It's a no-brainer. Get your Fairway Honey today. Okay, it's Thursday at 1 o'clock, and you are tuned in to the Heritage Radio Network. You're listening to The Farm Report. And I'm here in studio with Stuart Borowski, Union Square's Grassman. Stuart, it's so great to have you in the studio today. How's it going? Oh, it's going really well. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Awesome. So before our guests get too excited and think we're going to do a show about marijuana, which, you know, we should do, let's talk about what kind of grass you're growing. Uh, well, it's a grain grass. Uh, so it's a cereal. And basically, um, they lend themselves to being grown anywhere because they grow very quickly. And so we decided to kind of work on a plant that takes care of us in a week oh nice so have you been a grass man your whole life or is this a new project for you well i've been at the union square farmers market for 17 years wow um but i actually uh worked as a truck driver and i worked in parks i did landscaping and uh delivery with other kinds of food before that and where is your farm located well at this time we're renting a warehouse down near the gowanus uh, part of brooklyn so you're farming right here in the city? Yeah. Yeah, we're an urban farmer. Awesome. So tell me, you know, it's like 17, 18 years ago, you're out on the road driving trucks. You're like, man, this sucks. I want to get out of this life. Was it immediately obvious that you would start growing grass or, or kind of how did that transition happen? Well, uh, it was uh, an evolution. I decided that uh, I wanted to do something that was more meaningful and productive than just delivering stuff, even though it's... A totally important thing to do and I went out west and decided that I wanted to become a commercial fisherman but as fate would have it I ended up working on an 
organic farm, actually a permaculture farm, which means mixed agriculture. And the guys that I worked with were not only into working and into producing food, but were also into kind of like this philosophy of uh, taking care of the plants and the plants would take care of you. And that really struck me as being very valid. And I decided to move back to New York and uh, focus on working for somebody uh, on the East Coast. I ended up uh, working on a fish farm because that was my interest. Uh, And when that uh, proved to be kind of not enough, I ended up going down to the Union Square Farmers Market and working for some of the farms there as well as the fish farm. Uh, Also, at that time, I started working uh, for one of the wheatgrass growers who supplies the restaurants in New York City. And uh, eventually, I put all of those kind of things together and started growing the wheatgrass up on one of these farms that was going to the market, bringing it in that way. And uh, after establishing myself there, uh, eventually started my own business. That's awesome. So the the location of the farm in Gowanus, is that been the location from the beginning or have you guys moved a little bit? No, that's actually, uh, it's the third, the third room the that third we've room. been working in. Yeah. So what, like what in the past has caused the, the farm moves? Well, the first move was, uh, uh, you know, for traditional reasons, we, uh, had, tried to grow the wheatgrass and it was growing well but there were some obvious defects in the room and things that could make my life a lot easier and I just decided okay we need to get our own space rather than sharing it with the other farmer and this is going to help me to focus on the production and and, uh, to the exclusion of these other stuff you know the fish Um, but after that I realized uh, that we were up in Monticello it's two hour uh, two and a half hours drive and we started doing more markets uh, and At that point, I realized that I really couldn't replace the time spent going back and forth and that the product that I was specializing in uh, was really could be grown anywhere, especially indoors. And so I decided to move down to Brooklyn about 10 years ago. Okay, so you you set up camp in Brooklyn. You have a indoor. So is it a greenhouse or is it different than a greenhouse? No, it's been my experience with wheatgrass that because it's so uh, temperature sensitive and uh, the the happiest temperature I found anyway seems to be between sixty five and seventy, and most greenhouses are a little bit warmer than that. Um, and so we decided to do them indoors. Uh, you know, uh, similar perhaps to mushrooms or uh, other kind of organism where basically you don't really need dirt per se. You don't really need sunlight per se. You just need to have a very stable environment. So um, so the wheatgrass, it likes to be in a 65 to 70 degrees. It, it does grow in dirt though, right? Or what are you growing the seeds in? We do, we do plant in soil and that's, uh, you know, both because intuitively it's going to be a better product and also because that's the way I was taught to grow the wheatgrass. Uh, On the other hand, um, the most important thing for the wheatgrass is that it think that it's in the place it expects to be, which is basically in an upland arid area in the spring. And so what that translates into is about, it's basically like Montana, Colorado, Saskatchewan, you know, I'm sure there's places all over the temperate zone that that would be great for growing wheat. Um, And uh, the other parts of the requirements for wheatgrass are met, you know, but you can do that like as components. So have you found it helpful to sing like prairie songs like Old Susanna or I mean, are there any particular tunes? <laughs> uh, hi ho, hi ho, you know, the Seven Dwarves song probably is the most appropriate because it's uh, it's piecework and it also needs to be done not only um, 
it needs to be done ahead of time, but somehow on schedule. And so to a certain extent, uh, it's the rotational nature of being a wheatgrass farmer that would, you know, that dictates the spirit of it. You okay. Know? Yeah, let's talk about that. You, so you said the, the, the grass grows, it goes from seed to a sellable product in under a week? Yes. Uh, basically, we're trying to sell it before it gets old. We're trying to sell it at the point where it's already assumed some of the nutritional makeup of a green vegetable, but still retains the wheat germ and the whole grain aspects of the seed. Okay, so give us a give us a sense of like what is a a week in the life of a, a wheatgrass farmer look like? Now I know you're you're doing four markets a week. And if people want to find your stuff, they can find you at Union Square on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Saturdays. I have to say you're very recognizable. What is up with the bus? <laughs> Um, well, uh, we used to run out of my little truck, and then I got a bigger van, and then I. Uh, went to buy another van and it was a school bus and although I bought it out of desperation it was an immediate hit uh, with everybody and the truth is is uh, although we've had to change it so it's not really an official looking school bus we've still got it a nice snazzy yellow and I, I don't know everyone just seems to have a very positive connection with it also uh, as of now nobody else is using a, a bus like that and so in a crowded market on a busy day it's nice to be you know able to be found. Yeah, and so at Union Square, you guys are on Union Square West between 16th and 17th most days of the week? Yeah, generally uh, we're on the west side, either across from the Heartland Brewery or a little bit further south by the coffee shop. Um, but uh, we've been very fortunate to have been in these spots for a while, and you can also find us uh, at our website. You can go there and you can see a picture of you know where we set up. Awesome. What's the website? Uh, it's unionsquaregrassman.com. Awesome. And, uh, yeah, it's pretty. <laughs> All right. So back, back to, I guess, my original question. Take us through, yeah, like a, what, what's a week look like? Uh, you know, how are you planning out the crops? Are there busier days? Like how much attention does the grass need? Are you setting your alarm for two in the morning to go and like whisper sweet nothings? Or, you know, what's the, what's the scenario? Um, well, basically, because of my market schedule, I have a I have a kind of a farm day and kind of a market day, and the market days are more intense. You know, I get up at four o'clock in the morning, uh, Saturday morning at three, and uh, between the time I get up and seven o'clock in the morning, I have to go to the warehouse. I have to take care of the dogs. Uh, I have a couple dogs who live there, uh, and then I have to basically make sure the plants are okay, make sure the juice machines are cleaned and loaded on the truck, make sure the truck has everything it's going to need as far as supplies, and then determine what I believe I'm going to need to sell that day, pull that from the room, rearrange the rooms, do any other final planting, and then uh, load the racks onto the bus, uh, make sure everything's square in the shop and uh, check the email just to make sure there's no last minute orders and I got to get to the market by 8 o'clock but actually as the season progresses we should be set up actually by 7.30 and so these hours kind of dial uh, dial back. The day goes uh, with barely a chance for errands unless <laughs> if it's raining in which case there's plenty of time to read a book uh, but otherwise uh, and the day goes until 6 o'clock at least we pack up at 7 and then it's kind of winded down in the exact opposite way, way yeah right. so uh the day could kind of go i consider myself working when i walk in the shop and so my day can go four thirty to 9 uh, or longer on a saturday uh but Woo. yeah it's <laughs> and and the thing is is that um 
that requires real management of personal energy, but also it really requires management of product and people, even though uh, sometimes I work by myself, sometimes I have a couple of guys who help me at the market. And it's super important because the business itself, of course, is not steady. People come at lunchtime, people come after work. Uh, You have to make sure that you're prepared to take care of them, even if you're having a difficult day or if the grass is having a difficult day. I mean, as I mentioned earlier, it loves 65 degrees and we sell outside. So it can range far from that. You have to make sure the grass is watered or not frozen or not um, being enjoyed by the birds and the squirrels. (laughs) Um, And that's that's a market day and the focus is on people and making the money. And then the the other uh, three days are basically about trying to spend as much time as I can with my family and uh, doing the planting uh, and taking care of the animals. Cool. So where um, where are you getting the seeds from? Like what what does that look like? And is that how does that seed supply kind of affect your business in the grass? Well, the seeds are one of the trickier aspects of the of the business because the seeds need to be chemical free and certified organic, but the seeds are prone to many different common varieties of mold as well as some stuff that's specific to wheat. Okay. And so we get the seeds from out west by the pallet because we need them all to be from the same lot and and that's the only affordable way to ship them. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, uh, it's been my experience that the seeds that are grown here uh, our harvest the time that you harvest the weed out west mm-hmm. lends itself to mold free seeds. Okay, the seeds that are available and that have been grown on the east coast, and of course, you know this is a gener- generalization, sure. but are generally harvested in the fall, and it's a little bit wetter. There's more moisture in the air if they're not properly. Uh, Uh, If they're not given a fungicide, sometimes they can get moldy to the extent that they're not going to be bad for eating. They're going to be great for bread, but they don't make good wheatgrass. Okay. So, So that's why we source our seeds from out west. So the farm, so the farm inputs essentially. You have the seeds that you're buying. What what else do you need to grow? I mean, water, right? Right. Uh, we use the city water system. I actually uh, have a great faith in the system. We also had a test originally, uh, but the the real trick to city water is put your own pipes in. So that's what I did. Okay. Uh, we use soil that's bagged. We use that for convenience as well as cost. Uh, that's expensive to get delivered uh, unless if you get it by the tractor trailer load. So we get it by the tractor trailer load. Uh, and that comes from a plant in Connecticut. It's topsoil. Uh, it's neither the lowest nor the fanciest grade of soil. And it's just been the, the stuff that we find that has been screened enough to use properly. Uh, when I was upstate, Uh, in the country, one of the great things is we could reuse our soil. We don't actually have a way to do that directly. We donate our uh, used uh, agricultural waste, as you would say, our compost Mm -hmm. uh, to the uh, added value program in in Red Hook. Oh, great. Yeah, the Uh, farm. Yeah, they've been super supportive. And that was, uh, you know, there's ups and downs about everything. And one of the things about urban agriculture is your space restricted. And uh, that compost uh, operation takes quite a bit of space. And so we've been very lucky to to have kind of had their support in that way. All right. And then you have, what are you growing in? You have different pallets or tins? Yeah, we we source containers from a greenhouse supply company. Uh, This business is basically an amalgam of a traditional greenhouse nursery business and a grain production. And so it's kind of like a nice 
marriage. There's always someone who's interested in helping me out with a new idea, and <laughs> they're definitely happy to sell me the the little nozzle or spigot that I think I need. <laughs> the right tool for the right job. Yeah. yeah sure. So your your warehouse is located in Gowanus. I mean, that neighborhood has seen a lot of changes over the last ten years. I mean, have have you noticed uh, your business being affected? Or I mean, you said you have dogs there. Are they are they guard dogs? Like, what's kind of what's the vibe over in the neighborhood? Do people, if we walk by, would we know what was happening behind those closed doors? Um. Well, only if you get there early in the morning when I'm loading the truck or late at night when I'm unloading it. Uh, everything goes on inside, and that's partially for anonymity. It's very difficult to kind of conduct your business and also take care of the work at the same time. So we like to separate that. Uh, but also the truth is is that when I moved there 10 years ago, the neighborhood was just coming out the of the – the neighborhood was one of the last to benefit from the increased policing that the 90s, you know – gave to New York City. Okay. Uh, and so we're uh, in the kind of neighborhood and on the kind of street where because it's uh, only houses on one side, the other side feels a little bit more vacant and abandoned. And even though it's not and it's within full view and under streetlights, originally it was the kind of place where I was happy to have my two big dogs. And now even though it kind of nobody has changed but it's much safer because the general neighborhood has changed uh i still scold people when they walk into my door because it's a big dog right kind of neighborhood <laughs> you should always knock right you right, know but right. uh, but the truth is is my dogs are sweethearts and uh, and uh, i've been very fortunate to never have a serious uh problem there on on the opposite uh, it's one of those things that because it's an industrial neighborhood, it lends itself to deliveries. It has the kind of space that would lend itself to indoor agriculture. Okay. It has the kind of neighbors that are used to odors and noises compared to a, a body shop. I'm a very quiet and, and, and rosy smelling operation. Everybody loves the grass, man. Yeah, sure, <laughs> sure. So occasionally it smells like compost. That's fine, you right. know. And, uh, and so that's great. It's been a real good marriage, I believe, between me and the neighbors who are very sweet and very protective of their block and at the same time recognize uh, that uh, we work very hard there and they have, you know, that's their background also. Awesome. So we're going to take a quick break and when we get back, we'll jump back into some more wheatgrass talk. Great. service announcement from Heritage Radio Network. Tune in to Hot Grease every Monday at 3.30 p.m. Hot Grease strives to bring sustainability, localized sourcing, and other forward-thinking schools of culinary thought to the minds and kitchens of everyday folk. Each week, Nicole Taylor's conversations cover the entire spectrum of food enthusiasts, from internationally renowned culinary masters to moms on a budget looking to impress their tiniest critics. 
Again, that's every Monday at 3.30 p.m. Hot Grease on the Heritage Radio Network. Okay, we are back. You are tuned into the Heritage Radio Network, and you're listening to The Farm Report. We are broadcasting live from the back of Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. I'm in studio with Stuart Borowski, the Union Square grass man, and we are talking wheatgrass. So, Stuart, we talked a little bit in the first half of the show about your farming operation and the pretty unique fact that you're an urban farmer. I, when I was trying to like think about it during the break, is there anyone else at market who who's growing exclusively, you know, in the five boroughs? It seems like you're kind of an anomaly. Uh, there aren't too many of us. Although the truth is, is uh, uh, there was a an Asian woman who was growing mushrooms indoors, and that's uh, that's an excellent thing to do in the city. There is the Queens County Farm Museum, and there. Uh, they have an outdoor operation, like a more traditional operation, but I'm pretty sure that they uh, that they're also doing indoor stuff and you know uh, growing greens under hoop houses. And I think there's this trend toward small animal farming uh, because that's also something that even if you're in the country, you'd be doing inside. But I'm not really sure that there's another you know family farmer who's actually kind of like paying the rent and buying the food with the with the proceeds of the farm. Right, right in Brooklyn. I know that's always like the crazy thing. You know, like walk up, where's your farm? Sackett Street. Like, all right, here we go. Um, so let's talk a little bit about your stand. You guys sell the wheatgrass. So how do people buy wheatgrass? What do they do with it? Well, uh, we've been selling the wheatgrass for three re- for three purposes. We sell it as a an edible. We sell it for pets to eat, and we sell it as a decorative item. Uh, it's the kind of grass that's only good for two or three weeks, and this is really good for us as a business. It lends itself to repeat sales. Sure. So, as a decoration, of course, it's not going to be a year round thing. It's what they call like a you know an installation. Uh, but we do a lot of trade shows, and we do uh, some hotels or restaurants. They do centerpieces for weddings, that kind of thing. Uh, Our biggest item is probably the traditional item, the wheatgrass juice. And this is uh, the way that most people hear about wheatgrass because it's this wonderful food and it's also prepared in a unique way. You don't really eat it because it's so fibrous. So we mostly end up uh, taking care of people who want wheatgrass juice by actually juicing it for them. Although we also sell the grass uh, for them to juice at home because it requires this kind of process. We end up doing a lot of that. And uh, finally, we sell the wheatgrass to people with pets grasses and other greens are very helpful for all the animals and when you live in new york very often your pets don't have access to that kind of thing so so someone who's buying for their cat or their dog let's say they buy a little you know potted disc of of wheatgrass and then what the dog just nibbles on it the cat nibbles on it like how does that work it's been my experience that the animals actually have an instinct to eat grass and uh indeed when people drink the juice themselves they remember eating grass as children Uh, so it's got a very distinctive odor and it seems that most animals will know not only to try it but also to eat it when they have digestive issues Uh, of course there's a whole set of herbivores is a whole set of animals that will eat grass for food and so you really end up hitting all the bases uh we say if it walks or flies it eats wheatgrass and uh and i guess that left out fish okay okay so yeah not a lot of grass underwater or not a lot of wheatgrass anyway 
Um, so as far as making the juice, talk a little bit about that. How much, I mean, how much grass do you need to make how much juice? Is this like a vente latte situation or? Well, uh, the truth is, is because we're selling it as a food, the more wheatgrass juice you drink, the more nutrition you've got. But we do serve very small cups of juice because it's a very concentrated juice and because it's got this strong green effect, it's a strong green flavor. Uh, nonetheless, uh, we still go through quite a few of these tiny cups. It takes maybe a couple of handfuls of grass to fill a small cup of juice, and that's why in the end uh, you end up needing to grow quite a bit to serve a market. And how much, I mean, in an ideal world where we're all getting as much grass as we want and need, what what do you recommend for people? What's kind of the norm? The recommendations that I've heard uh, are basically between two and four ounces a day, perhaps drinking them first thing in the morning or perhaps, uh, you know, through the morning hours. But of course, that's the kind of generalization that you would want to really understand before you started, you know, hewing to it like an orthodoxy. The truth is, is that when people are cleansing, they may drink quite a bit of wheatgrass and nothing else. Whereas if you're eating a lot of other greens, I don't think that you quote unquote need to have any particular amount, but it's very good to have a varied diet uh, that focuses on greens and grains. And that's why wheatgrass is not only healthy, but works with a lot of the other healthy foods. I do at least two ounces a day. I mean, I can't brag too much because it's all around me all the time <laughs> you know so it's, of course it's easier for me to put that into my life but that being said uh it is so healthy and it does you know give me a lot of energy and i think if i was a bigger person maybe two ounces wouldn't be enough so tell me how is your grass you know i see there's juice bars kind of popping up around the city i think you can go into whole foods and you know there's always this option to add a wheatgrass shot to your smoothie or your power whatever how how do how do you know how does that grass compare to your grass what are kind of some of the main differences there well the wheatgrass can grow well in a certain set of uh, climate conditions and if it doesn't grow well it's not really going to have the same kind of nutrition the same kind of good flavor Uh, that's because the plant actually has to work harder to stay healthy and alive so what we're doing is we're really kind of babying the grass if you grow it in a greenhouse the sun will rise and set in our room it's light all the time the plant never has to shift back and forth from blade growth to root growth so there are cultivation differences there's mm-hmm. also uh, basically once the grass is harvested it can stay fresh in a refrigerator but if not stored properly you can see the quality and the color degrade and finally I think that uh, if you go to a juice bar that doesn't have a lot of turnover it's possible that the juice that you're drinking might have actually been kind of made already or maybe there's some mother you know it's it's uh difficult to do wheatgrass really fresh if you're not either doing it at home or doing a lot of volume okay and so you wouldn't want to like juice a gallon of wheatgrass to have in your fridge like a, a gallon of orange juice where you're pouring yourself a glass every morning no i i'm i'm not really trained as a nutritionist but as i understand it the alkaline juices don't really hold their nutritional value in the way that an acidic or a fruit juice will and that's why even a lot of vegetable mixes will will have become acidified through the addition of tomato juice or some other sort of fruit uh so for wheatgrass or for any sort of green juice i believe within 20 minutes is the uh is the right time to drink it to come by for your shadowy grass yeah yes the, uh the thing the thing about magic is magic <laughs> is never easy 
Okay. <laughs> so the truth is, is for magic to really work, it either needs to be special or it needs to be expensive or it needs to at least be inconvenient. And so, <laughs> you know, so yeah, the best way to get the magic wheatgrass is to actually just truck on out to Union Square or alternately, as I say, uh, get the grass yourself and set a machine up at home. And that's, that's what many people who either are dedicated to nutritional health or have some sort of health crisis, uh, they'll, they'll go that way. What, um, can you talk, I mean, you talked a little bit about this, but can you talk a little bit more about, you know, what does it taste like and how does it, does the grass change? You know, you're at the market year round, so is winter grass and summer grass, you know, do you notice much fluctuation from day to day or season to season? Well, the goal of, of my business is to prevent any fluctuation in the quality, and that's not only to keep the customer's experience, you know, uh, but also uh, to to maintain the proper yield and the profit. Nonetheless, in the summer, we have to harvest it earlier because it grows quicker and because it can get moldy. Uh, even if we do a good job of growing it, it has to go to market. It could be warm in the truck. And in the wintertime, uh, sometimes we have to harvest it short because people want it and it just hasn't had enough time to grow. Right. Uh, but that being said, um, the wheatgrass itself is only going to be harvested in a spring stage by the time the wheatgrass would get to be a true summer wheat plant, it would no longer be good for juice. It would be a tall grain. It would have put all of its energy into the seeds and the roots. And and so basically uh, for us, you know, it's always springtime. So if if I bought like a little pot of wheatgrass from you and I, I, let, I brought it home and put it on my you know kitchen table... What what is the grass? Will it grow forever if I don't eat it? I mean, what's what's going to happen to that? We uh, if you give the grass a little water every day, it'll grow for two or three weeks. Uh, but during that time, it's trying to turn into a mature wheat plant, okay. and uh, that's about uh, wheat plants about the size of a of a corn plant. And when you when you look at the grass in the container, and it then looks imagine a lot smaller than that, and it, it, <laughs> it has big ambitions. Ambitions bigger than that three and a half inch square, you know. <laughs> But so kind of in order for it to like reach its it's it's like its full potential you'd probably need to replant it or you know it need a different climate exactly. and soil and it's not exactly. going to go from it's not going to turn into a you know a full grown wheat plant in your pot on your living room table. You would almost certainly need to give it outdoor conditions uh, because not only are we preserving the nutritional aspect of the wheatgrass by babying it but on the other hand we're really not letting it prepare itself to go to maturity okay you'd be much better served to take a plant that's actually properly hardened off and used to a normal temperature and light cycle this wheatgrass is uh a wheat farmer would look at it and say well it's kind of tall and thin right you know because it hasn't had a chance to broaden out it hasn't had a chance to grow those roots and the truth is is side by side you'd just be better off planting directly into the garden okay so you sell um at the farmer's market you're there four days a week and then you do some trade shows you said and you also do restaurant sales who are the restaurants that you're selling to um, we've been very fortunate to be at the Union Square Farmer's Market because the restaurants come there and they, they, they look at the food, they see the quality, and they make their choices based on that. So we've been uh, selling to ABC Kitchen. Uh, they're right up the block. Uh, we've been selling to Mary Cleaver. Uh, we sold to Jiva Mukti uh, Yoga Studio. Uh, we were selling our sunflower sprouts to Angelica's for a while. Uh, and, you know, basically, even though we're not able to deliver because it's just me and these, these kids, that are helping me on the other hand uh being at this locus of of 
food interest and food quality has really helped us to get into the, the, the higher quality restaurants, I think. That's great. That's great. So we are out of time. I just want to um, give people uh, another shout out to the website. If they want to find you, you're at market, like we said, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday from 8 to 5-ish. From 8 to 6. 8 and to 6-ish. Yeah, yeah. All right. Late, even later in the summer. And they can come by and they can get, you know, juice juice to drink there grass to take home you also do the the uh, buckwheat sprouts pea shoots we're doing uh several different kinds of greens uh harvested for salad we've recently started juicing our pea shoots as well we're making a vegetable juice that's just really killer um and we're also of course selling the grass plants to people who are giving them to their pets and uh, our website, uh, unionsquaregrassman.com, is a great way to uh, see the latest thing that was on my mind at 4.30 in the morning <laughs> or alternately to email me and tell me to hold something for you, you know, that kind of thing. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming down today. It was great to have you on the show. Oh, I really appreciate it, Erin. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening. Whole Foods Market celebrates Earth Month with the Do Something Real Film Festival, a collection of six provocative character-driven films focused on food, environmental issues, and everyday people with a greater vision. Come see one of the six features at City Cinemas Village East from Saturday, April 16th through Thursday, April 21st, every night at 6 p.m. Learn more about the films and special events at www.dosomethingreal.com. That's www.dosomethingreel.com. Sponsored by Whole Foods Market. The following is a public service announcement from Heritage Radio Network. The Snacky Tunes compilation has arrived and is available for free on our website, heritageradionetwork.com. This compilation features live performances from some of the hottest acts around today, including Midnight Magic, Surfer Blood, Overhoffer, and more. Again, you can download this compilation for free on our website, heritageradionetwork.com, and make sure to listen to Snacky Tunes every Monday at 2 p.m. on Heritage Radio Network.